Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. We have two sacraments in the United Methodist Church. The sacraments are those things that are made sacred, those things that Jesus has ordained us to do. The two things that elders in the United Methodist Church are ordained to do are to participate, to preside over Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper. And Monday, Thursday is the day that we celebrate that Last Supper, that time when Jesus shared himself with his disciples. That time that we commemorate in prayer and word and song and bread and wine in the United Methodist Church, and many of them at least, on the first Sunday of each month. We're in a time now that we are not able to gather together to share Holy Communion. And it feels like there's a loss or a lack. But I think that in reading this story and sharing this story here today, we have an opportunity to remember together what it means to us, how much it means to us to share this holy meal together. Foot washing was another thing that took place at this Last Supper, one in which the greatest, the leader, has proven to us, has showed to us that to become humble and to serve one another is the highest expression of service, of, of love to one another. It's such a wonderful opportunity, to, but, but it's a hard thing to come to because as you heard in that dramatization of the story, it's not the expectation. The expectation is that the one who is greatest is the one whose feet are washed, the one who has the money, who has the status. And Jesus turned this all on its ears. I remember one of the annual conferences I was blessed to attend here in New England was one where Bishop Peter Weaver was here ordaining our deacons. And he knelt down with a basin and a towel and he washed their feet as part of the ordination ceremony. I had never seen such a thing. And I can only imagine that what I felt in that day was something like the shock that the disciples must have felt the day that Jesus knelt down at their feet to wash, to humbly honor them. I hope that we can think of ways in our lives to humbly honor our, our neighbors, strangers, our enemies, even our loved ones in our family the ones who can put up with the worst of who we are because they love us? What would it mean for us to truly humble ourselves to them, to serve them in meek and contrite ways? It would be a wonderful exercise for you to try sometime this week. More than that, though, Jesus teaches us that to be a servant leader is to take on the role of freeing others, to free those slaves not just from the idea that they have to be the ones who are kneeling in front of those who are wealthy and rich and honorable and whatever else that, that status might carry, but to free them 
so that they are no longer oppressed. You heard in that dramatization that that person was eligible to be beaten. And that's one of my prayers in these days, that when we are housebound with people that, that I, I fear that there may be abusers out there who, who are anxious because of this time. And my prayer is that, that we all might treat each other in a more kind way during this time especially. Because when we're anxious, that's what happens. We, we either are just simply anxious and it manifests itself as worry, or maybe we're, we're very anxious and there's despair or depression or tears. Maybe we take it out in disrespectful ways or angry ways. And my hope is that we can hear this story today and see Jesus glorifying God by being humble by dropping to his knees and washing Peter's feet, even though Peter resisted. Peter said, you won't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I must, otherwise you will have no part. And then Peter, in his impetuous way, says, well, then wash all of me. Wash me clean, Jesus. I want to be completely immersed in your love. I suspect that's how we all feel, just dying to, to be a part of all that Jesus has to offer, to be freed from our sinfulness, from our fear, from our sense of unworthiness. And in that, we give up our personal authority. When we bow down at the feet of another and are humble, we give up that, that idea of having to control everything, having to have power, having to know every detail, having to be the one who makes the decisions or at least be informed of them. Because frankly, that's not possible in this time, this time of uncertainty. And I believe with all my heart that this time of uncertainty is when Jesus comes to us most strongly saying, fear not. Some of you may know that song. It rings through my head every time I remind myself. Be not afraid. I go before you away. Come follow me. And I will give you rest. In this time when it's so easy to get embroiled in that anxiousness, that fear, and we feel like we need rest and we have time for rest, but we can't quite sleep because of all the thoughts that are mulling around in our head. Jesus calls to us, be not afraid. I will give you rest. Lay your burdens on me. Let me be in control. And you simply be. So these, these things that we're talking about today, these these rituals, these ceremonies, both of foot washing and the holy sacrament of communion, are symbols, are signs of what we believe with all our hearts and our faith. Now a sign is something that's concrete, like a, a street sign, a stop sign, my, my cross that I'm wearing here, something that is concrete and, and usually has a concrete meaning alongside it. Because I wear a cross, you know that I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Because you see a stop sign at the end of your street, you know you're supposed to stop, right? Other things, symbols, 
sort of point the way to something, right? So, so a symbol might be the logo for a brand like Nike or Coke. If you see, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine in your mind's eye a Nike swish or the, the oh, I'm thinking of the Pepsi logo, whoops. The Pepsi logo is the circle, sort of that yin and yang, red, white, and blue thing. But that reminds you of what it symbolizes, even if you don't see the words alongside it. It's a symbol. It points to something. So these things that we do together, these sacraments, these rituals, are things that remind us, bring back to us all of the wonderful memories that we have, all of the meaning that we may have studied in Bible class or Sunday school. We begin to understand the richness of those things. So when we come and we take communion and we take a piece of bread and a little dip of juice, we remember all that it means to us, all that it meant the first time we took it, all that it, we have studied throughout all these years. The Last Supper is full of symbols and meaning, full of, of meaning about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus says, he takes the bread, he gives thanks to God, and he breaks the bread. He blesses it, and he gives it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body. And then he takes the cup and says, take, and all of you drink from this. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes when we're working with children, um, it's hard to say those words about blood because they have such a uh, direct connotation to having fallen down and skinned their knee or something like that. And so sometimes it's easier even for us to be shaken out of our, our, our understanding of blood and, and really realize that it's the life force of Jesus that we're talking about. The, he's giving us his very life for the forgiveness of our sins. And he reminds us in this that this is his life force, his, the blood of the new covenant. We remember that old covenant, the one where God and Abraham have a covenant so that Abraham is promised that he will be the father of great nations, that God will guide, protect, and give the land of Israel. But the new covenant is that through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God by grace alone, apart from anything we do that we are forgiven, that we are freed from our oppression. Jesus demonstrates in this act of holy communion how much he cares for his friends at that last supper. He knows that he will not be with them much longer, and he knows that that is going to be a terrible shock. That's something about this whole story. This whole story about Jesus and this last supper is one where it's shocking. Every piece of it's shocking. And we rehearse it so often that it's not as shocking to us as it once was. But it should be. We should remember that shock often. We should remember how those disciples must have felt that their teacher and friend would be taken from them in a very, very difficult way. A very, very difficult way. And he's caring for these friends, reassuring that, them that the Spirit will remain with them, that God will remain with them, that they can remember Jesus. Not only the memory that we have, but remembering, putting back together. So when we use a whole loaf of bread for Holy Communion and we take it into ourselves and we together are the church, we are this family of God, God, Jesus is put back together in that. 
and we have participated in Holy Communion. That's why it's so important to me to have a single loaf. It's important to see, visualize that, that idea of the wholeness of us as the body of Christ, and then the brokenness of Jesus, but the ways in which he has called us and promised us to come back together. And in fact, one of the reasons that we won't celebrate communion online, or we never will, not during this period or afterwards, we might have some representation that is familiar to you like a love feast, but to, to practice this holy and sacred covenant online would detract from all that it really is. And we have ecumenical partnerships with other denominations that have come about as the result of very careful study by people like a professor that I had at BU, Karen Westerfield Tucker, who have sat together and had a deep understanding of what Holy Communion means and how we practice it, and agreements have been reached. In fact, there's a document in the United Methodist Church called This Holy Mystery, and uh, Gail Carlton Felton has produced a Bible study on it, a book study on it, so that we can understand together how each of these elements are so very important and how we share communion together. We need to remember in the process of doing this that Jesus is offering this for you. You are the one who is being forgiven. It's a deeply personal and intimate act that Jesus does with us here. And as I said before, it is so shocking because in that time, it would have been so offensive to those disciples. What was he uh, suggesting cannibalism? That would be an abomination. Who would eat someone's body and drink their blood? Especially Jewish people for whom drinking any kind of blood was a, a, an abomination. Not blood pudding, not anything like that. So in this, the language was used to impress the sacrificial nature. Everyone understood that giving a sacrifice in this time was such a precious thing, and that was part of what was happening in the language that was used in each of these Gospels about communion. And what a lovely thing that the sacrifice was to God, in the presence of God, and essentially it meant to eat in the presence of God, to take part in a meal alongside God. The other piece of the shock was that it was so profound that Jesus was willing to give up his life for the sake of others, that they might be freed. And beyond that, even, this whole fact that we celebrate Holy Communion, just as my cross here does, it signifies who we are. It's a piece of our identity. There is a German theologian named Ludwig Feuerbach who says, you are what you eat. And that's so indicative of this fact that communion is a holy time, a meal that we share with one another, and it proves, it, it demonstrates our shared Christianity together. Now, not only that, but the time of not eating, this time of Lent when many of us are fasting, is also indicative of our identity as Christians. Eating and fasting mark us as Christians. They proclaim our lineage, our religion, who we are, what we believe, what we do. When we eat and drink together in this way, in Holy Communion, we become a new tribe the family of Jesus, celebrating his life, coming together as a new family, not just eating and drinking, but defining who we are and proclaiming our belief. 
And the earliest stories of Paul, those writings that came even before the Gospels, where folks are divided, there are factions, that Paul reminds them that they participate together alongside one another, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, alongside each other in the Lord's Supper. We are all together in one family. Jesus gives his life for the community. And those people came to understand that. Paul says, Jesus gave his life for you. Surely you must come to the table as equals for a meal that shows unity rather than displaying any kind of factualism. To take this meal together, we must be reconciled. That's why in older liturgies, we all would pass the peace. We would reconcile ourselves to one another, demonstrating that Bible passage we talked about not so many weeks ago, where before you come and bring your gift to the altar, you reconcile yourself to your brother or sister. So this is an opportunity for you in this time where maybe you have more downtime at home. Maybe you have more time to be set aside, to really be intentional about that, and perhaps to create a personal ceremony or ritual, something that might include um, setting a space apart, maybe by lighting a candle or saying a prayer as you walk through a threshold and open into this one room where, where this place might be sacred for you. It might include doing a sacred reading of scripture, a song, maybe some journaling or drawing or praying. The bread and the cup that we are describing here, that we that is a symbol of Jesus' presence in our lives, that is a symbol of us coming together regardless of our differences, that, that is so precious to us in terms of knowing that we are beloved of God, forgiven, lavished with his grace. It's like the perfume in last week's story that permeates the room and helps us to remember the taste, texture, and smell connecting the story of our lives the story of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.